Marking its 40th anniversary in 2022, Blue Door is the largest emergency housing provider in York Region, providing life-saving support to children, youth, adults, seniors, and families at risk or experiencing homelessness. Along with offering emergency housing and housing retention support, in the past two years, Blue Door has expanded its service offering to further work toward preventing and ending homelessness through inclusion, the first supportive housing program for two SLGBTQ plus youth in York Region. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, providing supported skills training to help youth and adults break barriers to employment and secure meaningful careers in construction trades and launching in 2022 a health hub which will include a nurse and in-reach system navigator to help people regain the health and well-being needed to secure and retain permanent housing. Join Blue Door's mission and become part of the solution by learning more at bluedoor.ca. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squahomish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Welcome to On The Way Home, a podcast dedicated to the issues surrounding homelessness and the incredible experts making a difference in the lives of homeless people. Remember to subscribe to the podcast anywhere you're listening and share it with a friend. Welcome to another episode of On The Way Home. I am Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door, your host. It is a glorious Friday here in Toronto. It is the day after a federal budget has dropped. Some people are really, really happy and others not as much. So people say it's a good start and many are saying there uh, is much more to do. It scratches the surface, but we won't get into that today. Uh, by the time you hear this, that will be uh, a, a past thought. Uh, as always on On The Way Home, we have amazing guests today. We want to get to them. But first, let me tell you a little bit about what's happening at Blue Door and the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. We are partners on this podcast, don't you know? Uh, at Blue Door right now, we're really excited. Um, the last couple of years, we had some money come through the province to our region, and our region decided to use that money to quickly build, which is pretty quick for uh, anyone, an 18-unit transitional housing um, building that Blue Door will operate. Uh, one bedroom, so we're looking at mostly uh, single adults or adults, adult couples or adults with a small child. Uh, so that is happening. Hopefully we'll open in uh, late spring of this year. It, it is a modular build, so it's really cool to see how quickly they started construction only in uh, September, October-ish, right? So it's really pushing through. And in and, and my region that I work in, York Region, desperately needed. Uh, we have about uh, estimated 1,500 people experiencing homelessness. Uh, we have around two to 300 emergency beds uh, with seasonal mixed in there and not a lot of transitional housing in there. So this is well needed. And so we're really, really excited about that coming up. And hey, don't you, the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness just dropped uh, yesterday that their conference is now open. You can uh, sign up for the conference. If you have something you wanna share, some best practices, something you've been working on, you can also apply to be a presenter. You could apply to be a sponsor. Um, hey, listen, if you want to get word out to 
the thousands of people that attend this, I believe is the largest uh, conference of its sort in the country, be a sponsor, right? And that's how you're gonna reach out to a lot of great people. Now, I, I've, uh, one of uh, these individuals I've met at that conference a couple of years back where we could do it in person, last time it was in Edmonton. And that's a bit of a hint as to who we have uh, on today. So lots of great things happening. Now, today I have two guests on the show. Now, they're going to tell you a little bit about their organizations, but really we're here to talk about a collaboration that they're doing. Uh, and, you know, collaboration, as we've seen time and time again across the country, is a positive path forward. So I have Margot Long with me today. Margot is the president and CEO of uh, YES, which is Y-E-S-S, Youth Empowerment, I love that, and Support Services and as well, I have Corolla Cunningham, who is the CEO of the Nijinan Housing Ventures and Margo, or sorry, Margo, uh, Corolla, if I said that incorrectly, I hope you will correct me uh, and my apologies. So welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Michael. Did I get that right or no? Was I? It's Nijinan. Nijinan. Okay, Nijinan. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. So we ask every guest the same question at the beginning of the show because it means a little something different to everyone um, and it is what does home mean to you Margo we're going to start with you and then we'll go over to Corolla without cheating because I saw what your shirt said and that's the best answer um, <laughs> I think the first thing that came to mind was safety it doesn't always mean safety but it should um, and when I think about what I wanted for my children as a parent, what I hope for for every child and every youth that walks through Yes's doors, it's a sense of safety. Um, children should be able to learn, understand, uh, build the tools that they need to understand themselves in a safe place without fear of repercussion, abuse. Um, and that's not what we have right now. Uh, and I think that's one of the most important things we have to remember for home. Fantastic. Yeah, safety plays such a large part in all homelessness, but especially for youth. So many youth that flee violence, that can't stay at home uh, because they've come out to their parents. Uh, and I think it was the 2017 um, big youth uh, survey that uh, the observatory did that said 80% of youth who experience homelessness uh, before the age of 16, it started with family breakdown, which, of course, again, not feeling safe as well uh, in that situation. Corolla, what does home mean to you? Well, like Margot, your shirt says it all. Home is love. But to just expand on that, for me, home means uh, smiles, uh, hugs, great food, togetherness, uh, celebrating the way we live, being on the land, going to ceremony, and yeah, just, I love being in my family, and I know my family loves being in, in the family too, and we're always together doing things. That's it. Yeah, you see, and that's, we, we, we proved our point, right? Home is a little different. There's some similarities, but different to different people. And you're talking about the relationship aspect of it too, right? Um, you know, where those relationships happen, where, and it's not so much 
neither of you really said, hey, it's the physical structure. We're talking about roof and walls. And, and you know, that is a common theme as well. It's not about that. It's about the comforts, the smiles, the love uh, and feeling safe. Absolutely. So thank you for that. So I was hoping both of you are, do amazing um, groundbreaking work in, in what you do. Um, and I want you to tell us more about it as well as more about yourselves. So, you know, how did you, what was your journey into this work? Um, and maybe we'll start with Corolla. Talk to us about your journey to the work, your organization, and then we'll throw it over to Margo. Okay, well, Tansi Toya. Netsika sano gishe go squales ota miskwachi waskegen. So I introduced you by my traditional name, which is Sky Woman, and that I'm coming from Beaver Hills House in Edmonton. Um, my, my Christian name is Corolla, and I come from a strong Métis family that uh, settled in St. Albert before Father Lacombe got here. And uh, my great-great-grandfather took script, and um, so we've been landowners around Big Lake, which is just outside of St. Albert. And my father started uh, Native Counseling Services at our kitchen table, which is a huge organization that offers um, support to our people uh, going through judicial uh, crisis. And my mom was a biologist and Michael was asking me about how I got my name. That kind of comes <laughs> without explanation. And uh, my great-grandfather, my grandfather, was a grand champion Red River Jigger. He jigged for the Queen two times, so he was pretty famous. And he could he could speak seven dialects, so Blackfoot, Cree, Deneta, uh, Chip, uh, and French and English. Yeah, so he was very well versed. I used to use him as a court worker to do a lot of interpreting for me. So that's where I come from. Those are my roots. Uh, my, because of my family's roots, it, it led me into the work that I do. Um, we've always sort of been a family that has been a liaison between First Nations and uh, the colonized, the colonizers, I'll call them. <laughs> because often um, what's happened to our people through the years of disruption is that uh, we don't have the greatest of relationship um, with the Western society and I, I, I want to say that things are improving and, and I want to say that uh, I feel like uh, the red people are finally becoming uh, equal in that medicine wheel at least that's what we're striving for and um, my career I don't want to talk about my career like it's too long but I will tell you about my career at Nikanen um, I started uh, Niginan organization, uh, well I didn't start it, the board started it seven years prior to 2014 when, when the first uh, opportunity was uh, presented to us and we opened a building called Ambrose Place. And the reason we opened that is because there was a huge uh, disconnect between our people, indigenous people of Turtle Island and the rest of the housing sector. Our people would get housed for five minutes and then they'd be out the door. And it, a lot of it had to do with a lack of understanding of how we actually live 
and relate to one another. And so uh, that's how Niganan came to be because seven tenacious women said, we gotta make a difference. Like we gotta provide a, fa a home for people that can't be housed. And, and it needs to be for our people. So I was hired when the walls were just going up. And so I was able to design a program that's considered gold standard in permanent supportive housing nationally now. So, and I don't know why, because I'm not doing any rocket science. I'm just uh, having a, an opportunity to provide programming that makes sense to our people. And we're governed from an indigenous way of knowing and being. So we're indigenous led, all our programs are indigenous based. And so what does that mean? It means a whole lot different than the way some organizations operate. When I say we're governed by natural law, the first thing we have to think about in the way we treat people, in the way we develop programs, in the way we interrate, inter relate with the rest of the world is we need to be kind 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 is just like home is love we need to be kind with everything we do we need to be kind to the land we need to be kind to the water the air all our relatives the winged ones the crawlers the four-legged and especially to our brothers and sisters the two-legged and so when we start to work, that's where we come from. And that's how we govern our organization. That second law we're governed by is honest. To be honest, like to not play those games that sometimes uh, organizations can get caught up in. And to not play that game of, I'm gonna do a better job at this because we're vying for the same dollars. I need to be honest about what I'm doing in the work that I'm providing. And I wanna be honest with my partners and I don't want to ask for money that I don't need. I just want to ask for what we need to be able to do our job. Our third law is sharing. And you know, if you ever come to any of our ceremonies, you'll hear those old people say, share. Share your life so that people can live. Well, what does that mean, share your life? It means share your kindness and your honesty, share your wisdom, share your knowledge, share your way of being, share everything. When we share with one another, when we collaborate, when we come together, boy, we got an amazing project. We have an amazing world we can live in. And that fourth law we're governed by is strength determination and uh, you know Michael when I first started in this initiative I had to really act like that Pascual Mustus that buffalo I had to put my hooves down and say we're doing it this way we're not doing it your way it doesn't work for our people we're gonna do it the way I see the way I, I've been taught the way our people live and we're gonna decolonize the approach to housing for our people because that's what we need. And so that strength, that determination is something when we apply that kindness, honesty, and sharing, wow, we become amazing at what we do. I think that's how come we actually are recognized as a gold standard PSH. So Ambrose was our first and we took absolutely the hardest to house 
multi-complex issues, missing limbs, mental health issues, addictions. Like, you know, to get into our place, you had to be in bad shape, which is sort of counterproductive to the way most people fill their houses. Uh, but you know what? We don't, uh, we, we rarely evict people. Most people leave to a higher level of care or to the spirit world. And we're often right by their side, supporting them through palliative care and singing their spirits home and burying them the way we know how to bury people and send them off in a good way. Um, so from Ambrose, we moved, we moved into um, a family, multi-family generational complex, Omamu Wangugamik, and that's where our youth come into place. I felt for all the years I've been in the public service and human service industry, that all these racist systems were backwards, especially for our people. Like it doesn't make sense to try and keep children together by, or families together by removing children forever and making it impossible to get them back. It doesn't make sense to take those children and put them into foster homes where they're not allowed to celebrate who they are as Nehawak. They don't know their culture, they don't know their identity, they just know they're different and they don't fit in with the family that they've been placed into. And our jails are full of people that have lost their way, that haven't been able to connect to those very important natural laws. And so Omamu Wangugamik tries to do that. We're saying, bring, come, we'll help you get your kids back, or come pregnant, we'll help you learn traditional parenting roles. Come, if you're aging out of foster care, we're gonna help you find out who you are. You're gonna find your way with us. And so that's what we're trying to do there. And we've only been open to a little more than a year. And we've had seven to eight family enhancement orders lifted. That means kids that were at risk to go back into, uh, I call it custody, um, but uh, We've been able to work with the parents and those kids are intact, living great little lives in our community at Omamu. Um, we have, we've birthed eight children in the year. We've had one wedding and we've had youth start to get out on the land and understand what it is to be in Nehewak. And I feel like I'm taking too much time, so. I'm just going to say two more things. We started the SANS. Uh, the SANS started as a transitional housing because of how many people ended up becoming homeless because of COVID. We did such a great job at that. We applied for federal money. We're now becoming a PSH with 30 beds continuing to do transitional housing. Um, and we're looking at another site, um, MacArthur, that will house permanent supportive housing. So you can keep asking me questions, but I'm going to stop there. I want to give Margo a chance <laughs> to talk a little bit. Well, it, Carol, if that is not gold standard, I don't know what is. So it definitely deserves. So thank you so much for that beautiful story. Thanks for sharing. Margo, what can you tell us about yourself, your journey, and your organization? Yeah, that was incredible, wasn't it? I took notes, Carola. 
things I, I need to remember. Um, my background, I, uh, I'm also from Edmonton, Treaty 6 uh, territory and uh, born and raised and honored to be connected to that land and the river is my favorite. I'm a, a fourth generation settler and my family spent a lot of time coming up just south of the Coos border into Alberta. So we're pretty strongly rooted in Calgary, High River and, and now Edmonton. I don't have a background in social services or in uh, youth homelessness other than being a parent of five kids and with my own sort of history as in, in as being a kid in institution um, hospitalized. What I do have as a background weirdly in anthropology, which is a whole other podcast and, and then business and marketing strategy. And I came into this space looking for uh, my, the ability to make change happen and to align better with my values and learned a lot in this space. Learned that, um, again, another podcast around the false premises that we put on not-for-profits and, and Corolla alludes to this and this is where the youth agency collaboration comes in around, it's not a business, we need to collaborate and we need to understand much more about what we're doing in social services as groups together in terms of what we're trying to solve. It's not strategic. Uh, so I come in with a strategic lens and a lot of just learning from the experts around me. YES is an organization that exists. It's been around for 40 years. This is our 40th anniversary and we serve young people aged 15 to 25 experiencing crisis and how, and or housing instability in Edmonton. Um, we have a 24 seven diversion shelter as well as supportive housing and um, a drop-in resource center. And we work directly with Neganen. I can say that Ambrose Place feels like home. Um, I've, I love walking in that building and seeing the family feeling. Um, and so it feels pretty great to have these relationships with uh, other organizations in doing this work. Um, and so we see about 700 youth a year, if 100 staff, um, and we're only in a small part of the city. So we're still only serving, uh, you know, a small percentage of what we see within the city in terms of need. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project, or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Awesome. Well, you're, you're both doing such great work. And it's so interesting that you mentioned when, you know, what actually makes a home. I think uh, back, you know, back years ago, if you're talking about housing for youth, uh, people would wonder why when you put, you know, 30 bunk beds in a concrete room, um, which if I said that to someone, what is that? They'd usually say, well, that's prison. Um, not, not where you should consider home, right? So it, it makes a difference walking into a place to say, oh, this feels like someone's house. That's how it should feel, right? Absolutely. But you're right. That is a whole other podcast to talk about. You talked about collaboration 
Um, listen, we are way stronger together. And I, you know, if I'm picking up what you're putting down, sometimes we're actually pitted against each other. And I think Corolla said that too. Hey, let's all fight for the funds uh, because we want to survive and do that instead of working together. And sometimes that's government saying, hey, strongest survive or, but you have chosen the path of collaboration. Let's talk about the youth agency collaboration. Uh, Margo, maybe you could talk about how did it come about? Who's involved? Uh, and then we'll go to Corolla. You can talk about how, because you, you've just been involved recently in how, uh, you know, how you've been involved in, in, in how you got involved. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Um, the youth agency collaboration came about, it started as an idea in 2017. And I think the first important piece is this isn't new, as I, um, there have been, as I keep learning executive directors, leaders of organizations trying to collaborate for a really long time. And often what happens is they're exhausted and beaten down by a system that makes them compete against each other. When I came into this space, one of the things I realized is they, yes, had apologies to do. Uh, as an organization, we were territorial, we were protectionist, we were aggressive in our either pursuit of funding or in our defensiveness to funders or other organizations. And we had an attitude of, screw you all, we can do this ourselves. And I think the system inherently creates this. I think that needs to be very clear is the way that our funding is often set up um, creates a landscape of competition with organizations that aren't selling commodities for profit. This is not, while we run efficiently and you'll see some of the most entrepreneurial leaders in this space, there is a false um, requirement that we do these things for free without a lot of pay, without the input that's allowed in business. And we're expected to compete against each other and show how one is better than the other. And we're not doing this for profit. We're doing this to serve the local good and to serve young people. And with youth agencies, we also notice that youth walk between our buildings constantly literally and metaphorically. And we don't share our data. We don't share our practices. We don't share their stories. And we know firsthand from interviewing youth and staff, we know that they're asking us, get, get it together. Can you guys talk to each other? Um, I don't want to have to retell my story. You're the grown-ups. You should be able to work together. And so, you know, we're in a system of competition, of hot potato, I saw, you know, oh, it's now with this group, so they're going to screw it up. It's not our problem. It's over with the government. It's with children's services. And so the gaps that young people were falling into were created by us and by this colonial system that believes that the organizations and the government know better than the youth and the youth workers and a system that also creates outcomes based on either short-term political views or by people who do not have frontline experience or lived experience. And so we've got this perpetual system from my perspective that isn't strategic, is looking at symptoms as well, um, the things that society doesn't like to see in our city as opposed to what is the root cause going on in here. And and it's pitting us against each other without any sort of strategy within the city. And so as we started talking about this, I met with five, at that point, I met with a lot of agencies, apologized for being the you know, jerks on the block 
and talked about what we were seeing in terms of one, um, a lot of us, yes included, were really focused on making these kids taxpayers as quickly as possible and not looking at root cause. Why are they on? Why are they not safe? Why are they leaving home? And it's family breakdown. It's community breakdown. It's system breakdown. Somewhere along the line, it's not safe for them. Whether that's racism from the community or in school or their parents not being able to handle mental illness or the fact that they're in two, you know, 2S LGBTQIA plus um, spectrums. There's so much going on there that we're not identifying. And uh, what we noticed is that we need to look at this together. We need to look at this strategically and focus on what is root cause. As far as I can see, indigenous programs, communities have been doing this work for 20, 30 years already. And we have a lot to learn around how to overcome some of the childhood trauma and some of the um, cycles that we're seeing. We have to do it together. And so we talked about what if we took this into our own hands instead of waiting for $10,000 grant RFPs that ask us how we're going to collaborate with the agency, you know, with Niganan, who we just beat out for funding and how we're going to sustain that funding going forward and a whole new set of reporting outcomes that are different. Let's do it together. Let's come together. Let's look at our city and say, what do we have now? Where are the gaps? And what are the best practices coming in from the observatory nationally, internationally, like 24-7, family natural supports, what do we need to bring in? And how do we parse this together and create our own outcomes and guide the system with lived ex and, and frontline experience? And they said, we've tried this before and we're exhausted and we don't wanna do this on the side of our desk again, that's where it always fails. And so what I noticed was we needed extra help and we hired consultants to walk us through those processes. So from 2019 to 2020, we hired a consultant, Center Hope, to walk us through that strategic mapping of asking our staff and you what's working, what's not, and what do we need to address here? The results of that were four challenges that we already knew. It just gave us some actual methodology and research papers. We're not coordinated. We don't coordinate our training. We don't coordinate our data. We don't coordinate our best practices, and we don't coordinate our funding. And and, and then COVID hit, which gave us a chance to, one, it lowered our risk aversion because people needed to solve problems. We noticed that there wasn't a specific youth solution for isolation in the city. Agencies were out of commission for a week or two with, because of outbreaks. And we needed to coordinate and figure this out. And so we started a platform called the Coordinated Youth Response that let us just talk to each other and share information on youth and basic needs approved by the Privacy Commission and get isolation space to youth as quickly as possible. And while we've been doing that, we've also then started experimenting with some of these elements that we know we, come, we need to bring in. Yes, brought in 24-7 diversion. Uh, other partners like High Human, have created hubs for us to meet together and do work together. And we continue the work growing the numbers of collaborators. So in 2020, it was 10 agencies. Now it's our 20 agencies. 
And we've really focused on what do we need to do to work together. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about what those goals are. And this is where Niganen and Corolla came in, in that we started working on an evaluation framework. Can we agree on common goals, guiding principles, um, which really underline those kind, honest, sharing, strength pillars. You know, as, as Corolla says that, I think there is nothing about that those pillars when we first started. The system goes against those foundational pillars and that's what we need to break through. And so what we have now is 20 agencies working together. We meet monthly, we have a leadership team that's pretty informal because we need to meet agencies where they're at. But we're working on one, how do we do complex care management together? Which is kind of mind blowing when you think about how do you get 20 agencies to share language, to agree on a flow of intake and assessment? But the idea is this youth needs to own that. The youth needs to sort of have this ownership of here's where I'm at in my crisis and my life skills, and here's the work plan that I need to build this stable foundation where I can create my own future. And our job as agencies is to walk beside them, to not own them, to not save them, and to not you know, push out any other agency, but to really support that youth and whatever they need. That was a lot too. I see it's easy, Corolla, right? You just start talking and then I can't shut up. <laughs> it, when, you're, when you're passionate about something, it, it shows and you both definitely are. So hey, keep talking. Uh, Carol, you, you recently, it's been about a year, I think, that you got involved. Can you talk about uh, how you got involved and, and, and uh, what has the experience been like? I think because we um, moved into providing care for youth, uh, we were invited to come to the table. And I thought, I so want to be at this table. Uh, and, and I have motives behind wanting to be there. I am so sick of uh, non-Indigenous groups applying for Aboriginal dollars, hiring a token Indigenous person to provide Indigenous learning and being, and yet they're confined and constructed into a very colonized process. And I think, why, why are we doing this? Why aren't we as indigenous people going to these agencies and saying, look, we know you don't know anything about a chicken dance. We know you don't know anything about a fasting lodge. We're gonna invite you. We're gonna bring you and five of your youth on the land with us to understand what those natural laws are really about, to get you thinking about how we work and how can we collaborate in an effective way that keeps children? Because these young people are still children. They need love, they need support, they need guidance, they need to hear their language. They need a kukum, they need a mushum, they need a nakawas, they need aunties, uncles, grandmas, grandpas is what I'm saying and they need that wraparound support. Otherwise, they're gonna continue to fall through the cracks and hit the street and spiral down that by the time they're 40, I'm looking at housing them at Ambrose Place. And I don't wanna do that. 
I'm sick of the way systems handle broken people. And so let's sit down and talk how we're going to work this. Because the majority of the youth on the street are indigenous. Please allow indigenous people to be forefront in helping you develop a proper case plan for them, hooking them up with the right nations, communities, families. I think it's going to be a win-win situation if we really work hard together and maybe together we're going we're gonna to change the system. That's my hope. And that's why I came to the table. Exactly. How's it going? I'm curious how we're doing so far. Right? <laughs> like, I, I, what was really interesting to me, the first couple of things that Carola said really made us stop in our tracks and, and realize like even intention doesn't override your colonial thinking. Like you really have to stop and sit back and listen, you know, cause we had things like city model as our title. We're looking for the city model for the prevention of youth homelessness, which really becomes again within a colonial framework. She also said, slow the hell down. We need to build relationship and we need to do this in ceremony. And that was a, that was a big lesson for me as I, you know, I'm a pusher, I'm a driver. I want a momentum. This is the way it needs to be. And that's great for an initial project, but this, the lesson this year has been slow down, meet your neighbors and your partners and build trust in the work that we're doing. Because if we don't have that, there's no way we're going to get to complex care management. So that's been incredibly powerful for us. Yeah, I, it's, it's so interesting that you, you know, and Margaret, the fact that you're so open to stepping back and, and reflecting, right, which is great. Um, and we have to get better and better at that. And Corolla, it's, it's interesting. In, in New York region, our point in time count showed that we had 17% of people experiencing homelessness identified as, as indigenous. And so instead of doing what we normally do, which is, hey, we better do something about it, to your route, we'll, we'll hire someone to do, we reached out to um, Namarez in Toronto and spoke to Steve T. Because I said, Steve, this should be indigenous led for indigenous people. Would you, if, if we could work together to find the funding, would you, he said, of course. And that's what he did. And he brought his outreach workers up and that's how it should happen. Unfortunately, it doesn't always happen. Indigenous led for indigenous people. You said to be involved. I say taking a step further should be leading the way. And so you've come together. Collaboration is awesome. Uh, what has the impact been? Me? Okay. Um, well, I think we're building relationships. I really think we're building some good relationship. I think that maybe I've shifted a lens a little bit by having people come and sit on the land and understand that we're governed by our Oswagon. That's our pipe. And we have to go to that pipe and be in ceremony and get rid of our egos and say, Creator, we're Chamuxin. We're pitiful human beings. We need help. Give us direction. Help us build this relationship so we can do something good for the people. And that's what Margot and the rest of the team 
in the yak group came and they sat on the land and we lifted those pipes and we asked for that to build relationship so we can do something good with our youth. And so it's steadily flourishing and growing from there. I'm hopeful that each one of the each one of the partners that's at the table is going to bring five of their youth and maybe two uh, workers and come and be with us at our fasting lodge. Now those kids are going to learn for five days the role of a scapiosa, the helper, how important they are to our community and what their job responsibilities will be. And those young women are going to learn the importance of being co-creators and how important the food that's prepared for the people is and how we walk on the earth is so important. And they're going to establish some pride in who they are. And they're maybe going to go back into the community with a different mindset. As a matter of fact, I know they are. You know, in one of my past careers, I was a warden. I was the first Aboriginal warden in Canada. And that's what I did. I said, CSE, forget what you're doing. We're doing it this way. And I took my whole institution on the land and fasted with them. And we, we increased the release rate for Indigenous people by 35%. That was significant. And it was only because we went back to what we know works for our people. And so the same concept applies for youth. When we can hook them up with all of those necessary supports in our Indigenous community, we're going to see people change. We're going to see people find purpose. We're going to see happy smiles, love in a home environment. Corolla is my visionary. She should just speak always about what's, <laughs> what we're reaching for. It's amazing. Well, what have you seen, Margot? So you've been, this is started with the pandemic, 2020. If you said, here's kind of our, our impact so far, what are, what are some big things that you're proud of to come out of this? I think, honestly, one of the most difficult things was getting agencies to trust the our intentions of collaboration. And so moving from five organizations to 20 and, and really having that sense of trust that we're not trying to empower build um, one of the tenets of youth agency collaboration is we're totally open source. We share policies, uh, anything that anyone needs. There's no intellectual property, just how can we help and how do we support? Um, I think just seeing people start to believe that this is possible and start to trust each other and showing how you model that, you know, as Carola said, that part of this is reminding staff that other agencies are not our enemies and that if there's something that goes wrong in a gap lean in and have a conversation call them up you've just met them at pipe ceremony have that conversation with each other and understand where the gap is instead of making this narrative of some group you know screwed this up which is often what happens in our um in our agencies and in, in this sector so i think i've seen one, we're producing things. We're getting more focus on 
why it's important to focus on youth homelessness. If we look at the Canadian Observatory data and Stephen Gates, 50% of the adults experiencing homelessness were homeless before the age of 24, right? And those are the difficult entrenched in cycles of trauma that we could really make a difference here. So why is it such an afterthought to focus on young people? And I think this collaboration gives us strength of voice to bring that. We need to be at more planning tables because there is expertise there. And I do see, as Carola said, in a time when we have never had such compassion fatigue, burnout, and vicarious trauma from staff through this COVID experience, I've seen happier, more engaged, passionate staff at every level because they believe that what they're doing matters and they're being listened to. They're the ones setting this direction. They're the ones attending these meetings and saying, yes, this is how this should go, or this is my experience and these are the gaps. And so you're seeing a group of people who have felt hopeless for a long time with a, a different outlook. Of, we can do this together and we can actually make progress and we can help those other incredible systems that are doing this work make it even better. Well, and to just, add to just that, amazing now oh please go ahead yeah well i just was gonna say like sitting at the table allows me not to have to reinvent the wheel and that i can take my youth to i human or yes or wherever it is and we can access their programs for our youth and they can come and access our programs that's the way we should be working we're both ex we're all expertise in in our own in our own organizations. Let's put those amazing skill sets together and create a better outcome for our youth on the street. And I just that, that is uh, simple thinking, eh? Making it all about the youth and not about the agencies. <laughs> but good for you. It's not often done. Sorry, Margo. No, that's okay. Just to so you know, our ultimate goal here is to have a, a a share, a process of flow of complex care management where we have roles that we share across agencies um, that intake and that multidisciplinary groups with cultural you know, that look at the holistic youth and all of their needs to come up with that sort of case assessment based on outcomes we all agree on and that we support the youth as they walk through this. The other part of this is mapping out our city first. It should be provincial because again, one of the first things Corolla said is, you know, especially indigenous kids, they don't identify as being from Edmonton. Um, they connect with their family and the land and they move a lot. And so this needs to be a provincially uh, provincial-wide system, but right now, can we look at Edmonton as as a? And Edmonton actually has a cool new city plan with districts that have twelve districts that you can travel within fifteen minutes to get all your services. So it's a true way for us to look at how do we serve communities. There's enough money, and there are enough agencies to do this work. There's more than enough work that we need. How do we just be strategic about in each district? What do we need? You know, how many sleeping beds, 24, what kind of intake? Where does the case assessment happen? And what are the types of housing? You know, that final decision should be where does the young person reside to do that work? 
And that needs to switch very much back to how do we support family and community and in doing that work. Um, so if you can imagine actually having an ideal map of our city and the ideal programs and infrastructure for each district and each agency then gets to self-actualize, see what do we want to do within this and how do we map ourselves in the next 10 years to build that map out. The whole city can work with us on this. We can have real estate city planners and look at block funding in a very different way than I need that money and Niganan shouldn't get it, which is where we're at right now. Well, listen, this sounds incredible. We could all learn from the work that you're doing. I so appreciate your time and coming on sharing and you shared some of your future goals. I have no doubt you're going to achieve that. Keep pushing forward and hey, let's scale it across the country. This is stuff we should be sharing and growing because we truly want it to be about youth. Uh, thank you to both of you for taking the time to join the show today for sharing your experience uh, with our listeners. It's so appreciated. Hi, hi, Michael. Thank you. Hi, hi. Wow. Hey, listen, this is not a unique concept that our two guests were talking about. They were talking about collaboration, but sadly, it doesn't happen, right? And making sure that you have everyone at that table, that it's an inclusive table. Nothing for us, without us is often heard. We should follow that principle. Incredible work. I know I learned a lot, as I do every week for the, the incredible guests on the On The Way Home podcast. So thank you so much for listening and tuning in. Please share widely. And we will see you next week on the way home. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.